before you're seated this morning, will you join me in prayer? You know, we're living in a world that changes every day. And sometimes it's confusing on what to believe and what not to believe. And, you know, we get the opportunity, you know, when we finally have had enough, we get the opportunity just to turn the TV off. But our healthcare providers, they don't necessarily get to turn the day off. They have to go to work the next day and the next day and the next day. And I just have felt a, a burden to pray for those that are working in the hospitals. You know, sometimes they feel overwhelmed. Sometimes they feel like there might not be enough supply. Uh, the hospital's getting crowded. And secondly, we have uh, a member of our church, uh, Paul and Gina Hollenbach and their son Paul Jr. is going to go for surgery um, either at the end of this week or the first of next week at Shands. So they weren't able to be here today, but I told them we would anoint a cloth and uh, pray on his behalf for a rapid recovery. So would you join me in these prayer requests? Father, I thank you that when we don't know what to believe, we always can lean upon believing what you say. That our faith and our hope is, is really grounded in the foundation of who you are. And so, Father, when we don't know what is the truth and where to turn, we can turn to you. And, Father, I ask you to anoint, equip, empower those that are helping in our healthcare system, the doctors, the nurses, the support staff. Father, I ask you to strengthen them. I ask for you to encourage them. I ask for you to just let them know that we appreciate and thank them for all that they're doing. That, Father, many of them are putting their lives at risk almost on a daily basis. And we want to say thank you. Father, you know the, the needs that are represented by Paul Jr.'s surgery. You know that we believe in the impossible. So, Father, we're going to just hope and, and pray and, and base our faith on something that is possible through God instead of impossible through our own means. So, Father, today, in the name of Jesus, we ask for you to guide the hands of the doctors and the nurses and the support staff that are going to participate in Paul Jr.'s surgery. But, Father, we pray for a rapid recovery. We pay, pray for pain to be minimal. And, Father, we pray for an absolute miracle in Jesus' name. And we give you the praise, honor, and glory in that same name, in the name of Jesus. And we all said, Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord one more opportunity to hear his people praise him. And if you could and would, if you could find yourself uh, a place to sit down this morning. Before I get started, I've got a couple of announcements. One, uh, it is very important to us. We've had to change the way we do things, um, especially with today's environment. We are very accustomed to having an altar service where people come forward and we lay hands on them and we pray in close proximity, but we've been trying to do our best to, to you know, go by what the CDC has suggested for us in social distancing. And so we don't get the opportunity like we are normally accustomed to, to praying with you individually up close. 
So if you have a prayer need, if you have a moment where you make a confession of faith or you're new here to CityGate and you just want to learn a little bit more about us, there's a lot of people uh, in blue t-shirts that say Team Connect and some of them have on blue lanyards. Please feel free that after service, all you have to do is tell them about your special prayer need. They'll pray with you right there and, and bring it to our attention as a staff and we'll continue to pray during the week. And if you want to know there, uh, about CityGate, they're going to give you some uh, vital information about that. Also, uh, Tuesday night, if you're a guy, we meet as a herd, uh, a group of guys every Tuesday night at 630. And we have some fun. Last week, we played Bible Jeopardy and, and we went into a teaching. But the Bible Jeopardy was the, the kind of the icebreaker. And I want to go on record to say Pastor Greg, his team destroyed my team. <laughs> and it was like, man, I don't even know if I'm saved. Did I read the Bible? <laughs> you know? And uh, so I'm, I'm, we're, we're going to go into a night of worship this Tuesday where Dave and some of the band are going to come and lead us in worship. So if you want to get to know some of the guys here in the church and want to spend a night uh, in, a, in a great environment uh, with some worship, please join us this Tuesday night at 6.30. And also, those that are joining us online, we have a lot of our family that just feel it's safer right now to worship from home. And some of those homes are a long way away. So I wanted to give a shout out to the CityGate family that almost every single Sunday worships with us from Indiana. They worship with us from uh, Louisiana. Come on now, give a shout out. And... Lacey's family's probably right now going, yeah, they're talking about us. We are. And then they listen from Kentucky, North Florida, even the Keys almost on a weekly basis, and Ohio. So could we just put our hands together and welcome our brothers and sisters that are joining us from all over. Now, we started a series a few weeks ago of a study of the book of Daniel. It's called Draw a Line in the Sand. And last week, I was so excited to preach you know, and I, I really probably didn't give the importance that I probably needed to to sponsoring a child. We 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 set a goal for a hundred kids. We've done about sixty. So if you can help us, go to one of our links on Facebook, Instagram, or our website, or our app, and and find out what all the information is about supporting one of those kids in Kenya. But you know, we we started like I was so excited, and this was the reason why. We were in Daniel chapter three. It was the fiery furnace. It was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, man. It was Jesus in the fire. And I realized how I have really missed the moment by preaching that over 26 years. Because Daniel chapter six, I rush. I mean, I'm in a hurry. I'm like in high gear to get to the miracle. But the miracle isn't the point of the passage. The point of the passage is idolatry. It's that these young men stood and drew a line in the sand that said that they would not worship an idol. And I, I, I really believe that God gave me some revelation about idolatry because I've never understood it. Has anybody ever not understood idolatry besides me? Say amen. amen. Because it was always hard for me that if I made this cup, it was hard for me to tell this cup that it's a God because I know deep down in my heart that I made this thing. But the reason that idolatry is so appealing is that when you make an idol, you get to decide where it goes. You get to position it in your life any way you want to. And I thought, oh man, that makes some sense now. And then the Holy Spirit even went one step further and said, you know what? There's never been an idol that could talk. 
And I thought, now that really makes it appealing because now I can have a commitment and a, a relationship with a God, a G, little G God, and he can't tell, they can't, it can't tell me what to do. Now that's pretty good. You know, it can't tell me, you know, it doesn't have 10 rules like thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. It doesn't have any rules at all. So it allows me to make up the rules for myself. And it allowed me to understand what the, uh, what the allurement is to idolatry. The problem with idolatry is that they can't talk back. And when me and you have to go through the struggles and the trials of our life, and when we pray, we want something that can hear us, right? And we want something that can respond to us and speak back. And God is a living God that speaks back. And so this week, I want to carry the same theme, not just rushing to the miracle, because this week I'm in Daniel chapter six, and we are in the, the Daniel and the lions. And anybody ever heard of Daniel and the lions? Then say amen. amen. Yeah, if you've been to Sunday school like three times in your life, you've probably heard Daniel and the lions then. But did you know that the, the sixth chapter of the book of Daniel is not about lions? It's about prayer. And how important prayer is. And let me ask you something. Would you, because I said this in first service, I said it at the end, so I'm going to give, let you, it stir in your heart from the very beginning. If I ask everybody in this room, if somebody busted in here with a weapon and said, you know what, if you confess to love Jesus, I'm going to kill you. Most of us would give our lives for our faith. Maybe all of us. Let's just think the best of everybody and say they'd all, we'd all meet in heaven. But how many of you would face a lion for prayer? And what would make a man do that? And that's what I want to teach and preach today. So would you join me? Because I don't want my words to be just words. I need them anointed by the Holy Spirit. So if you're online or you're here in the sanctuary, would we stop for just a moment and pray for me to convey the truth of God's word with passion and with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Father, today, I pray that these are not just words to be spoken. Father, we need those words to be anointed by the Holy Spirit that reflect the authority and the power of your scripture that allows your word to go forth to transform and change lives. Father, I can't change a life. I can't forgive sin. I can't do any of those things. So I am completely, totally dependent upon you. I ask for the Holy Spirit to anoint me as a speaker to speak on your behalf, that it is your glory that is uh, realized, that it is your reputation and your fame that increases. Father, we want to just be vessels. We want to be servants on your behalf. We want to speak your word with confidence and faith. And Father, we ask for the Holy Spirit to change lives today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Now, the sixth chapter begins with a new king. No longer is Nebuchadnezzar king. We've got a new king. Uh, you know, the American version is Darius. I think the, the real pronunciation is Darius or something like that. Darius. Darius. Something to that effect. I'm, I'm going with Darius. I'm pretty comfortable with Darius. And there's a reason that anybody ever follow the, uh, the monarchy over uh, across the pond that you kind of, you know, anybody ever heard of people like Princess Di and all of that? And you, you know, you keep tracks of all of that. Do you realize that when most of those people ascend the throne, they change their name? They want to, especially the men, when they become king, they want a kingly name. And so they change their name to one of the previous king's name that they have a lot of respect and honor for. Well, Darius was one of those types of names. There's a lot of King Dariuses in Babylon and in Persia because the name literally means 
Lord King. Now, when you put that into context that Babylon was an idolatrous nation, it means that the throne, the one that sat on the throne, wore the crown, was considered to have some type of connection with deity, almost a God-man, because none of the gods could talk because all of them were idols, so the king got to talk for them. So here is Darius, he's new to the throne and he realizes when he comes to the throne that the empire of Babylon is bigger than he can handle. So what he does is he takes 120 men to help him lead this empire and he basically calls them satraps. And that is another word for like a prince. Even though that they didn't have royal blood, he was going to assign them almost like a governor over a province. And he had 120 of these men that he had confidence in to help him lead this empire. And above those 120 princes were three guys that were above them that they had to answer to. And out of those three guys, one of them was the chief among them all. And guess what? His name was Daniel. Here's this guy that is virtually the prime minister of the empire of Babylon. There's only the king that has more authority than him. And sometimes we think that when we are praying for opportunities, when we are praying for God to open up the door, when we are praying for God to send the promotion or send the blessing, sometimes I don't know that we realize just what we're praying for. Do you realize that if God answers some of your prayers about promotion or open doors or your advancement, especially in career, not everybody's going to be happy about it. I just wanted to be the first one to tell you. They're probably not going to throw a party at your office and say, hey, I'm glad you got the promotion and I didn't. Let's get a cake. Let's do something. Let's celebrate. Woohoo! Because with the promotion, more, most of the time comes financial incentive that allows them to be paid now more than you. And most of us would think, man, I deserve that job. And so... Here is Daniel. He goes from a slave being captured in the northern territory of Israel. He's taken to Babylon and now he has ascended through the ranks to prime minister of an empire. But just like in our lives, in his lives, there were people that were jealous. And so these people that were jealous, these other 122 people that now he had authority over, felt like they were the ones that should have gotten the position. And jealousy can fuel a lot of things inside of a person because especially when they've rationalized, they are the ones that should have gotten it or they deserved it more. Jealousy can arise and now you become the target. They decide we're gonna, we're gonna conspire together and we are going to take Daniel down. And the first place they look is in his life. Now, how many of you are perfect? Say amen. Thank God. <laughs> if somebody over in your living room said amen, beware. It's not good. No, none of us are perfect. All of us through our lives have misspoken. We have done the wrong thing. We've made a bad decision. We've chosen unwisely. Can you imagine being under a microscope with your life and, and those things that you did wrong were pro pro projected on that screen right there? I wouldn't want that. I mean, all the bad thoughts I've had and even not just the problem with bad thoughts is sometimes I say them. 
And, and now everybody knows what's going on in my head. And that's not what Michelle tells me all the time. Says, you don't have to tell everybody what's going on in your head. <laughs> that's a piece of wisdom for some people right there. If, you, if it comes in your head, you don't have to say it out loud. But do you know what? That they looked in this man's life and his character and in his morality and could find nothing. That's amazing to me. And that's why it's important. Yes, none of us are perfect in this room, but we should take a responsibility as being a Christ follower that our character and our morality is a standard above the world. Amen. That we are the ones that are going to be Christ like we are going to be the ones that reflect his character, that our morality and our our decision making and our wisdom should be to a place that would make him proud. Listen to what the Bible says about Daniel. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because of an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Now that's amazing. That they couldn't find anything wrong with this guy's character. So they said, the only thing we really can do is now, we can't really accuse him of being a bad guy. What we can do is criticize him before the king about his worship. Because Daniel seems to love his God more than he loves his king. And so maybe that's something for us to do. So they conspire this plan because of this newly kind of uh, elected king that has now ascended the throne and they were going to prey on his pride. Now that's nothing new for us. The enemy comes to us, almost all of us, through the vehicle of pride. A lot of times it is the thing that eases our conscience when somebody's telling us how great we are even though we know we're doing the wrong thing. It is that pride moment that has gotten me in more trouble than anything else. And it was a hard lesson for me to learn. And I'm telling you, I never want to learn that lesson again. That's why I try my best to stay in a position of humility and say, it is to God be the glory. It is to him all the reputation of fame should be known. And, and so here is this king and they come to the king and they say, king, we want your people to know you're new to this thing and we want your people to know you're the most compassionate, you're the most merciful, you're the most gracious king that has ever sat on that throne and we want your people to know. So what we want them to do is if anybody in the empire has a need, we want them to come or pray to you and you alone for 30 days. Wow. The king says, hey man, I like that. That's, that's, that's kind of a good idea. You know, they already tell me that I am kind of a God man because I'm the king. So yeah, I think that that's a good idea. Let them pray to me. And he signs it into law. Now here's where, we, where Daniel now has a choice to make. He's got a couple of choices. I said three in a first service, but I've come up with now four in second service. He's got these choices. He could either pray in secret he could pray the way he's always prayed with the windows open face towards Jerusalem. He could not pray at all or he could pray to the king. Those are his four choices. 
And so now he's faced with a life-threatening situation because the law says that if you pray to any other God other than the king, you're to be thrown to the lions. But before we get him into the lion's den, let's talk about for a moment the importance of prayer. See, prayer, by most theologians' terminology, prayer is associated with your spiritual walk like breath is to your physical body. That means that it's really important. How many of you could live without breathing? Nobody. And some of us can hold our breath for a little bit. Some of us dive. And you could hold your breath for three or four minutes. Maybe even, you know, I don't know anybody that could do it for 10 minutes. But let's say you're a super person and you can hold your breath for 10 minutes. That isn't a whole lot of time. And then after that 10 minutes, you've got to breathe again. It is that essential that you cannot live without breath. And the theologians and the Bible scholars and the people of faith are telling us, how can you be a Christian without praying? Because sometimes, I'm going to be honest with you, sometimes I get so busy and, and I find myself missing a moment of prayer and I don't think much of it until I, I studied for this message. Why is prayer so important? And first of all, let's ask ourselves, what is prayer? Most will say this, prayer is to stay in communication between God and man. And communication is both speaking and listening. Do you realize that when you pray, you shouldn't just get in before God and say, God, I need this. I want this. I need this. I want this. And can you do this for me? Can you open that door? Can you close this door? In Jesus name, amen. I mean, really, that's kind of rude because... Most of the time, can you imagine us praying for God to give us knowledge and understanding about something going on in our lives? And we're praying like, God, I want to know, is this from you or is this from, from uh, another source? I want to know, is this the right decision for me? Is this the right decision for my family? In Jesus' name, amen. And we run off the cliff thinking it's God's plan and God's there going, wait a minute, wait a minute. I was ready to talk back. I was really ready to tell you that wasn't from me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I made a joke last week about people getting married and I said a lot of them come back with a receipt and they come into my office and say pastor I'm ready to exchange this cat and I said no no this is no return policy here <laughs> no man sometimes we have to pray diligently about what God's wanting to do in our lives and we want him to talk back to us because that makes him different than an idol. He's alive. He's not dead. He's not a statue. He wants to speak back. He wants to reveal himself. He wants to speak to you. And sometimes we won't give him the opportunity because we're too busy getting in. The, we've given him our list like he's going to go out and start like he's Amazon. And he's like, OK, let me go through their list. Let me check it off, you know. No, communication and prayer is much more than that. So why is it important? Well, to begin with the first Christians and those apostles, those guys that, you know, they went from 12 to 11, 11 back to 12, now to 120 after the upper room. And now they're going out and they're meeting persecution and they're starting all these churches. And do you realize one of the constant things about those early churches and early disciples and early apostles was the power of prayer? 
Listen to these two verses in the book of Acts. Acts 2.42 says, and they devoted themselves. That doesn't mean that they decided one day to pray. It means they devoted, they set aside a time that prayer was the essence of the, of the subject and what they were going to participate in. And they were going to communicate between them and God. And it said they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Listen to the second one because it gets important. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's important. How many of you want a pastor that prays? I mean, let's just, let's just take the two choices. I could just decide because I'm, I'm pretty familiar with the Bible. I know that it starts with Genesis, ends with Revelations. I know there's 39 books of the Old Testament and 27 books of the New Testament. I know Paul, I attribute him to the book of Hebrews. I know he probably wrote at least 12 for sure and possibly 13 if you give him Hebrews. So I'm pretty confident in my knowledge of the Bible. How would you like me to prepare for next Sunday by going, okay, Jeremiah. I just opened the book, man. I'm just going to go with this right here. No, most of us would prefer somebody that is going to speak the truth of God's word to seek the heart of God for a moment on your behalf and say, God, you know who's going to be here in each and every seat. You know what need they have need of. You know what trial they're going through. You know those that are celebrating and those that are on the battlefield. You know that they have urgent needs, some of them requiring miracles. How many of you would rather me to say, God, what would you prefer to say than what what I have to say. Amen. And you know what? It's vice versa. <laughs> I mean, I appreciate you and I really value you, but you know what? I, I would rather hear what God has to say about me than your opinion of me. Because sometimes the opinions about us are not truthful and we have to go to God to know the truth about who we are. So the apostles devoted themselves. They wouldn't even preach. They wouldn't even fellowship. They wouldn't even break bread. They wouldn't even do benevolence without the power of prayer. Secondly, it gets better. Number two reason why we pray is that prayer brings solutions. How many of us have ever prayed about a problem? If we stop long enough, God may give us the solution. He may tell us the answer. God, am I supposed to marry this person or not? Yes. Amen. Am I supposed to take this job or not? Yes. Amen. Am I supposed to hook up in business with a family member? No. Amen. <laughs> Don't you wish that some of you would have heard that yes or no, that solution to the problem before you got involved? <laughs> Listen to what the Bible says in Jeremiah. Call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you the great and hidden things that you have, to, that you have not known. Solutions. Listen to solutions even go further in 2 Chronicles. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Solutions. He's telling the writer of Chronicles, there's a big issue going on about idolatry, but I'm calling my people back. And if they pray, there's a solution. I will heal their land. Amen. It even goes further in the third reason. Prayer is how we make requests. It's where you get the privilege and the, the promise of asking as a child of the king that you now have access. You no longer have to come 
to a priest. You no longer have to stay behind the veil because of the cross of, of Calvary and the death of Jesus and the shedding of his perfect blood. The veil was ripped from top to bottom. You no longer have to go through a person. You can come into his presence on your own as heirs and join heirs through the authority of his resurrection. Can somebody say amen? Because some of the things you have to confess, it's better than me not to hear. And vice versa. <laughs> it's that moment where we can make our request known with confidence. Literally, the New Testament tells us as the people of God, we can ascend to, ascend to the throne of an almighty God with confidence and faith to believe that he hears us when we pray. Listen to what scripture says. And, th and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Tell somebody right next to you, you can't touch them. We're social distancing, but look at them and say, he hears you when you pray. And the fourth reason that we pray is to understand the will of God. And I've got, I've got some cliff notes on this one, you know, because a lot of times this is one of the most asked questions of my ministry. Is this from God or is this from me? And then they wrestle. Is this from me? Is this from God? Is this from me? Is this from God? Is this from me? Is this from God? Let me tell you this. How many times have you told yourself to pray for somebody else in Walmart? <laughs> you know, that, if you're like in the line and you just feel like, man, maybe I should ask the person behind me if I should pray for them. That's probably not you. <laughs> if you're praying to get six numbers for next week's lotto, that probably is you. That's probably not from God. It's hard for you to go in and say, honey, I want to spend $100 because I think God gave me the numbers. That's probably you. That's probably not God. <laughs> it's probably you. And before I leave that, be obedient to what you feel like God is asking you to do. I remember when the pandemic first started and everybody was rushing to buy, buy uh, water and toilet paper and all of those things that now we have plenty of. You know, but we thought the cure for COVID was Charmin. And if we could get enough Charmin, we would be okay. I don't know if we were going to wrap our bodies in them or what, but... And I remember going to the grocery store. Michelle had given me a little list and, and I had gone to the grocery store, me and my brother. And, and it, was like, it was like the Holy Spirit was going before me, man. I just walked down the aisle to check to see if they had any toilet paper. And I got there and lo and behold, God is my witness. I'm not making this up. It, all of a sudden, a guy with a, like a, a pallet jack come in with a whole pallet of Charmin and just set it down right next to me. I didn't even have to reach off the shelf. I said, can I have one of those? He said, yeah, you can have as many as you want. You can only have two. I said, boom, boom. So now I've got, I, I'm double blessed. You know, I've got two, two packages of toilet paper. And I'm like, this is amazing. I didn't even have to stand in line. I didn't have to beat nobody up over it. It just, it was like it come to me. And here I am. And I get up in the line and I've got water and me and my brother's got a few things and, and, um, The Holy Spirit said, um, pay for the lady's water and toilet paper in front of you. And I'm like, 
is this God? Is this me? Is this God? Is this me? <laughs> and when I heard the word pray, I was almost certain it was me, you know, or when I heard it, the, the say pay, not pray, pay. I was like, oh, that must be me. That can't be God. But the more I stood there, the more that I realized. And her husband was in the other line because they were so long. They were talking back and forth. And all she had was like two cases of water and a thing of toilet paper. And I said, ma'am, I know this is going to sound strange. I pastor a local church and I'd really like the benefit of uh, paying for your things today. And she turned around and said, are you Pastor Pleasant? I said, yes, I think. Depends on what comes next. You know, I'll tell him about it if it's bad, if it's good. She said, I thought that was you. She said, my sister, which is a, a part of CityGate that just hasn't been able to connect and be here for a little while, different reasons, health and other things, said, I'm her sister and this stuff is actually for you, for her. And I can't wait to tell her that her pastor paid for it. So it's where you know the will of God in prayer. And the Bible says it like this, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you and to the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. Do you realize that 650 times this book right here records a prayer? 25 of those times Jesus was praying. If you count, now that's only 25 occurrences. If you count the three times that he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane as three separate times, he prayed 27 times recorded in Scripture. And if he being the Son of God, the perfect Son of God without sin, thought it necessary before he picked disciples to pray to the Father, before he broke bread and fish and fed thousands, he prayed to the Father. And if he thought it was important, shouldn't we? Now, back to the story, because this thing's all about prayer. Now this guy, the Bible literally says in Daniel chapter 6, he knew about the law, and he had to make a decision. So he realized very quickly, okay, I'm not going to pray to the king. I'm going to take that one out. Boom. Then he says, you know what? You know, I'm not going to not pray, because maybe that would have been some of our solutions. Just don't pray for 30 days, man. You'll live. But can you live 30 days without your breath? Now prayer is in a different perspective. Now it's something I need, not something I do. I'd rather have prayer and know the will of God for the next 30 days than to be absence of the direction of God or the Holy Spirit. So now it comes down to two things. Do I pray in public or do I pray in private? Be careful when you start doing things about your faith in private. It's a slippery slope. The Bible tells you to do your giving in private. That's legitimate. But the confession of your faith should not. If I ask three of your friends, if you're a Christian, I don't want them to tell me that they believe in God. I want them to know that you are a Christ follower. And how many of us in this room right now are undercover Christians because we want the fire insurance associated with Jesus? 
you know, like we should go to Allstate. Hey, man, it's pandemic. COVID's running rapid, man. There's a lot of stuff going on. You got anything for hell? You know, I, I need some fire insurance. You got anything for that? I, I want a bundle. You know, I got my house and my car and my boat. I'd like to do my eternity in this thing too. No, no, Jesus is far more than fire insurance. And those of you that only know him as your fire insurance, you're missing so much of the relationship you could have with him. And then you get these, some of the Christians say, I can't wait to get to heaven and see Jesus. So, can, so does everybody. But I don't have to wait to, G, to heaven to know Jesus. I know him right now. He fellowships with me. Did I ever tell you about Sister Faulkner? She's probably in heaven now listening to this sermon. Because when I was first started, Sister Faulkner was an 88-year-old lady that was in my dad's church that I now was the associate pastor over. And now I was preaching one of my first sermons on a Sunday night. I can barely get y'all after 26 years to listen to me in the daylight with music, more or less. What happened was that somebody hit a power pole outside the church and the lights went out. These ushers run and got these, lamp, these lanterns these, and they put it up there and said, go ahead, Pastor Dave, go ahead and preach the rest of your sermon. I said, are you kidding me? In the dark, <laughs> this is ruined. And she realized I was struggling. She stood up and said, can I have a word? I said, yeah, go ahead. Now, you have to remember, she had memorized the majority of the Bible, memorized it. Like, so she didn't have to say, okay, turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke. She just started quoting the book of Acts. And she got to a place where she wanted to testify and she stopped and said, I'm 88 years old and you know I've never been to the doctor and I can't recall ever being sick that my husband didn't, didn't heal me. I said, your husband? I didn't think you were married, Sister Faulkner. She said, I'm not. I'm married to Jesus. Amen. She said, I've been married to him all my life. She said, every time that I got sick, I asked my husband to heal me and he did. I've never been to a doctor a day in my life. Then the lights come back on. Wisdom set in the will of God. I said, Sister Falker, keep talking. <laughs> You've got far more of a message than I have. No, it's in those moments where sometimes you have to be public with your faith. You have to realize that it's important for you to make a stand. So Daniel decides if they'll get ready to play me something. Daniel decides I'm going to pray like I've always prayed. And he opens up the window. He kneels down at the time that he is accustomed to praying. He's not going to do it privately. He's not going to dishonor God by hiding. He's going to open up the window and he begins to pray. And sure enough, those watching him to accuse him now come to arrest him. And they're going to bring him before the king. And they go and tell the king, King, we have found one of your leaders that has prayed to another God. And now, according to the law, you got to throw them in the lion's den. And he said, who is it? They said, Daniel. Now, this is important for you in your relationships. The king looks for the rest of the day into the evening for a loophole in the law. Because he likes and maybe even loves Daniel. But let me be the one to tell you that most people, if they have to choose between you or them, are always going to choose themselves. Because he could have saved Daniel, but he would have had to give up the throne. He could have said, because the, if you read it in scripture, it says, according to the, me, the law, according to the Medes and the Persians is irrevocable. So if you rescue Daniel, you have to give up your throne of being king. You have to honor the law if you sit in the chair. And he looks all day and all night 
for a loophole and he can't, or all day and he, into the evening and he can't find one. So he has to choose the throne or Daniel. I like Daniel. I even maybe love Daniel, but I love the throne better. And he says, Daniel, man, it's really, I really like you, and, and, but I sentence you to death. You got to go to the lion's den. Now, this is something about Darius that I really want to bring out here is he basically looks at Daniel and says, the God that you pray to, that you have confidence in, maybe he can keep you from the lions. And so they escort him to the lion's den. They throw him in, seal the entrance with the king's signet ring, meaning that anybody that tries to rescue him will be accountable to the king himself. And the king is so sad, he goes back to his palace and now he is very concerned and he is depressed and he won't eat. The Bible says he doesn't take any food or any companionship. He doesn't want to talk to anybody the whole night. Now, the king has a lot of servants and the king never runs in scripture. The only time you find noble men running is the prodigal son and in this passage. The Bible says... See, the law ended at daybreak of the next morning. And he can't wait for the sun to, uh, to rise. So he's seeing the darkness start to evaporate and the sun start to come up over the horizon. And the Bible says he make haste or he ran to the lion's den. He was just waiting in hopes. And he probably didn't have a lot of confidence because, man, lions eat people. I know all of you that really love animals. And, and, you know, I'm not even going to get on that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm trying to be very, very careful. I love animals, man. <laughs> but like you think in your head, you want to go pet that big old cat. <laughs> he will eat you, my friend. They are wild animals. I'm accustomed to the woods. They're wild animals, man. They do some crazy stuff. And you think you're Tarzan, you just, or, or uh, Crocodile Dundee, you're going to do some of this. Yeah, they'll eat your arm. <laughs> and so he runs to the lion's den and he shouts, Daniel, has your God preserved you? And he's probably really not expecting to hear a voice. And Daniel shouts back, O king, live forever. For on this night, God dispatched an angel to come and lock the mouths of every lion. I don't even have a scratch on me. They didn't just not eat me, but the Bible literally says they inspected him for scratches that couldn't find a scratch. Like they didn't even go, ah, you know, God. You know, it's not like I need stitches, but I made it. No, man. God said that he really, I love my Sunday school teacher. When I was like eight years old, she was telling me this, this story. And it was like he was able to lay on the lion like a pillow. I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm going to preach it like my Sunday school teacher said. Can you imagine the thing that the enemy designed to eat you up? You get to, because of your faith and your commitment to your God and the line that you drew in the sand, you get to kind of pat on it and lay on it and say, I'm going to find my rest. He's like, I slept all night like a baby when I realized there's an angel in here with me. And to prove they were real lions, the king gets him out and then says, get all those guys 
all 120 of them, 22 of them that accused him, get their families too and throw them in there. Let's see if the lions are hungry. And the Bible literally said they ate them up before they hit the ground. And now you want to know why the Bible declares that no weapon formed against me shall prosper because I got a God that will go before me. But he didn't stop there. Now listen, when we make a line in the stand and we believe that prayer is the thing that we would risk our lives for, listen to the results. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. And I make a decree that in all of my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For, this is important, for he is the living God. He's not like our gods. He's not a statue. He's not speechless. He's not the one that won't touch stuff. He is the God that is alive and enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be at no, to no end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. And he who has saved Daniel from the power of lions. And I love this part. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and Cyrus the Persian. So when Cyrus got to the throne, they said, hey man, don't mess with Daniel, his God's alive. Wouldn't that be wonderful for the church to have that reputation that one, we are people of character and morality and that we stand for something and that not only is our character intact, but we love people, but we will draw a line in the sand. It isn't that we draw a line in the sand to judge the people over there. No, it's just like Daniel. We draw a line in the sand to say, hey man, I'm still praying for you and I love you and I want you to watch my life. When I face the challenges of the lions, I want you to see how God responds. And just like Darius, they're going to look for what you have. And lo and behold, they're going to step across the line too. If you don't go first. It's time for us to believe in something. Have a stance. And say, no, man, I love you, but I can't participate in that. That's not right. No, man, it isn't that I'm judging you. I'm loving you enough to keep on this side of the line so you can see that there's a difference between me and you and that everything doesn't go and it's okay because I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna start this. There's a powerful thing in my faith called prayer and I'm starting to pray for you because I love you. What could happen if the people of God began to pray? We pray for revival all the time and we think about the results, people getting healed, people getting saved. What if the revival happens in the house where we begin to pray? What would be opened up to us? as the potential of the miracles. Could God stop the mouse of lions? Stop for a moment. Now let's go back. Dave, if you and Sarah will come forward. They're gonna lead us in a moment of worship. And here's the question I wanna ask you. Most of you, if not all of you, would have died for Jesus. But now after hearing the message, is prayer enough that you would risk your life for? Because a lot of us thought it was just something we had to do. No, it's the thing that is part of the life of a believer. Let's worship. Oh, hey, oh, hey, oh, hey, from the noise, alone with you, oh, hey. 
preach a message about prayer without giving you an opportunity to pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you, maybe you're here and you don't have a fellowship with Jesus. Maybe you've never been saved. The 
Bible literally says you have to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is who he says he is and that he died for you as the son of God and that he resurrected from the dead with the authority of that resurrection to now give life and to forgive you of your sins. He's the same God that rescued Daniel. He's the same God that rescued Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he longs for a relationship with you. He's been drawing you to this moment, knowing that you have, we're gonna have an opportunity on this Sunday. Nobody's looking around. I'm not even here to embarrass you. I'm here to pray with you. I want to help you in that moment of confession. But with nobody looking around, I'm going to ask, is there someone here that needs to start a relationship with Jesus or at least rekindle a relationship with Jesus that you may have let go cold? And if that's you, would you raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you. Is there any? Thank you. Is there any more? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. We'll just stay here for a second. Is there any more? There's been about 12. Thank you. There's another. I see those in the, the balcony now. Thank you. We're probably to 15 or 16. Now I want everybody to open up their eyes. And maybe you were waiting for me to say one more time and you were going to raise your hand. You know, God knows. But here's where we confess. Now's the moment where we, we make that change permanent. It isn't that we just had good intentions that we want to do better, but now we are going to confess with our mouth. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Let's do that together. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I recognize you as Jesus, the son of God that takes away the sins of the world. You hear my prayer right now. And my sins are forgiven. I'm adopted into the family of God by the price you paid. I will follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Now the Bible says heaven celebrates when that happens. And we got to believe that the prayer we just prayed was heard. And now everybody that raised their hand is now a child of the King. Come on now. A child of the King. You will never be anywhere. You will never kneel down. You will never stand up. You will never be driving your car where you pray and God cannot hear you. It's life to you. Don't worry about what other people are thinking. Just get in your car and just start having a conversation. You'll find out God will speak back. Now, how many of you could say, you know, pastor, I could step up my game when it comes to prayer. I could probably do it a little bit more. I'm going to raise both of my hands. So how many of you would join with me and say, we need a revival of prayer in our own lives. Amen. Let's just practice, would we? Can we just as the people of God pray? You know, I know that sometimes people that hear us say the church is praying for against COVID-19. Oh, that's fine. It's God. No, man, I think God can hear us when we pray. I believe in the impossible. 
So as a church right now, let's just unify together and let's pray for there are needs here in the house. So let's just pray. You don't have to know them. Let's pray right here as if the needs of the person next to you are as important as your needs. So let's pray for them first and then we're going to pray for our world, okay? Father, right now we pray on behalf of those that are standing alongside of us. Father, you know their situations. You know those that need answers to prayer. You know those needs that they have that seem to be impossible, but we worship a God that can lock the mouths of lions. We've got a God that can quench the power of flames. So Father, right now we pray on their behalf and declare that their needs are just as important as any of our own needs and that we petition heaven because of the right that we have through Jesus Christ to come before the throne of God and ask for my brothers and sisters to be blessed, to be uh, to let you, them know that you are there, you're faithful, and that you hear them when they pray, and that, Father, that you are the source and solution to all of our needs and answers. Father, I give you praise and honor because you not only hear us when we pray for each other, but God, you hear us when we step out on big steps of faith and we draw lines in the sand. God, I know that COVID is real and I know that it has taken the lives of people globally, but it, that name has to bow to the name of Jesus. And Father, I will pray that, Father, that you are the source of our strength globally as we endure, but I pray for a miraculous change. I pray for COVID to go away in Jesus' name. I pray for the pandemic to be eliminated in Jesus' name. Father, I believe you for miracles in Jesus' name. Heal our bodies. Give us strength in our spirits. And everybody said, in Jesus' name, amen. Now we're gonna dismiss, but I'd like for you to sing this chorus with me one more time. They're gonna have to, they always get mad at me because I sing with my microphone on at the end and they gotta edit it before it goes out. But man, how can you listen to somebody saying, I worship you, you know, and not participate. You know, it's, it's our life. So will you, will you just worship one more course? And I'm going to make my way to the back as you're worshiping. God bless you. Have a great weekend. To worship you, I live. To worship you, I live. Oh, oh, oh.